This is the 12 Songs of Christmas, my podcast talking to the people who make and love Christmas music. I'm Alex Rawls, and if you're a regular listener, thanks. It's nice to know you're out there. If this is your first time, I treat Christmas music not as a soundtrack for the season, but as part of a musician's musical, professional, and personal life. Since GeoCity days, the internet has provided a home for people to connect over their obsessions. Thanks for joining me and mine. This week, with Christmas approaching, I have three interviews I'm excited about as I talk to Joey Burns of Calexico, Grant Lee Phillips, and Holly Foster-Wells, singer Peggy Lee's granddaughter and the overseer of her musical estate. Calexico and Phillips have new Christmas releases this season, and Capitol Records released Ultimate Christmas from Peggy Lee earlier this fall. Before we get to them, though, I want to shout out one of my favorite releases from this Christmas season. As much as I like unlikely takes on Christmas, smooth soul instrumentals just feel like home. They're musical comfort food. And this season's musical meatloaf for me comes from Benny Barksdale Jr. and his album, Christmas Time is Here. Barksdale is a journeyman sax player who played with the Dells, Grover Washington Jr., Evelyn Champagne King, Gloria Gaynor, Alicia Keys, and more. On the album, he plays the melodies with just enough flair and flourish to give the songs life, but not so much that they commandeer your Christmas. The title track gives us a wine and candlelight Christmas, and that's representative of the album. It's old school in all the right ways. Here's Benny Barksdale Jr., and Christmas time is here. first met Joey Burns of Calexico in 2012 when they came to New Orleans to record Algiers. And I've always loved their cinematic take on music that reflects the American Southwest. These days, their relationship to the landscape that inspired their sound has changed a bit since Burns moved from Tucson to Boise, Idaho, as he talks about in our interview. Their sound remains a contemporary one, though, inextricably linked to the interactions between cultures. And this year, they've made not a Christmas album, but a holiday album, Seasonal Shift. Let's go to Joey Burns of Calexico and the 12 Songs of Christmas. How was it to record this while in the middle of the uh, sort of the election season? Yeah, well, there was a couple of thoughts that went through my through my head, and that was, okay, so we're writing this music and this is for the moment, but I kind of want to have some songs or some, some things that are universal and that will make sense five, 10 years down the road. And so there's a lot of things that were, that were mentioned before we started writing and recording. And that was, we didn't want to make just a uh, Calexico Christmas album. We wanted to make new music for the holidays and sort of embrace everyone and everyone's idea of what the holidays or the end of the year, the winter solstice means. And, um, and so uh, there were a couple of things that we just kind of said, let's just not go down that path, um, which was you know, doing the obvious covers and, or you know, making it too kitschy and, and whatnot. So for me, I just started thinking more about winter and nature and uh, what it means and I had just moved in June during the pandemic with my family from Tucson to Boise. So here I was away from beautiful Arizona and I was missing 
you know, friends and, and places and, and celebrations too, at, you know, looking forward into November and the All Souls procession and, and the Posadas and Christmas and uh, New Year. But um, also really excited to be here. And um, so I just sort of distilled everything and did as best a job as I could kind of get down some covers, get down some originals and see what the other band members thought and see if it stuck. And what I think will be found is that we were all really excited to be working on something together again. Well, you know, one thing I've discovered as I've talked to musicians is that how therapeutic it was to simply be back to work. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I, I have enough on my plate with moving and settling in and dealing with the simple things like a lawn and, and leaves, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like uh, there they are, they, they're not going to move by themselves. <laughs> and so uh, my sister-in-law said, here, get this lawnmower. This is going to make your life a lot easier. <laughs> and I, said, I appreciate it, you know. I just, it just, I, it, I just was cracking up at each little, each new turn of, uh, of uh, adapting here to a new higher desert yeah. dwelling. But, um, so yeah, so, you know, we're, we're busy enough with just day to day stuff, but then to have something really creative to work with others and, um, and also to you know, be in communication with the record labels was great. It was there. It was actually City Slang, the label in Europe. It was their suggestion to do one Christmas song or holiday song at the end of 2020, and we would you know come back with a new Calexico record in the spring of 2021. But all that changed, and so then the one song you know grew to like, well, let's just do an EP, four or five songs, easy enough, sure. And, uh, and then once we actually started working on it, then it grew to a whole album. It was just too much fun to, to stop, you know, but I gotta say, I mean, it wouldn't be possible because, um, I, I moved thinking that I was going to return to Tucson within a month and work on the record, pick up my minivan, which I left, pick up some of my music gear, which I left and then drive back home. But that was not the case with COVID getting more intense in Arizona in the summer. So thankfully, Sergio Mendoza, our keyboardist, and Chris Schultz, the engineer in Tucson, drove my minivan up full of gear, <laughs> both theirs and mine, and we set up a little Airbnb where everyone was safe and sequestered, but we had the main meeting place where we could wear masks and we could record and hang out and, and make the bulk of the like the basic tracks, which we sent to John in El Paso, Scott in Brooklyn, Jairo in Madrid, Jacob in Tucson, wow. Martin in Germany, and then this uh, whole slew of guests around the world. So it was really fun, you know. I mean, it's just it was a beautiful, beautiful project to be involved with in the heat of summer. You know, I think I was thinking we started off talking a little bit about politics as the background. And I was thinking mm-hmm. as you were talking about the about the project and the yeah. idea of embracing, you know, what the season means in different cultures and different audiences and realizing that's a point of view that was completely at odds with yeah. the Trump administration. And and it occurs to me, you know, retrospectively, we certainly we see, you know, political action, whether we see political intent. And I wonder, were you ever conscious that I am that I am kind of while we're not overtly making a political comment, we're making a political comment here by acknowledging these other cultures and their other perspectives. I I wish it wasn't even (laughs) an an idea that that it would, you know, whether or not it was like a, a, a directive or like, you know, intentional. Because as fans of music, as we all are, right, even those that, claim they're not they love music to a certain degree they can't deny it right yeah they really can't just like good cooking you know and we find that we have a richer life when you just bring everyone's recipes together sure it's just it's just who doesn't want to like smile and party i mean you know (laughs) (laughs) scrooge yeah even scrooge you know can have a change of heart right yeah so i think that um 
you know, Donald Trump is the epitome of being like the worst uh, Scrooge ever. And, and he's really Scrooged our country badly (laughs) and, and made it seem like it's okay to be like that. But um, I'm sorry. That's, that's not the, the, that's not the normal, normal path for, for life. And and certainly for our country, which is built on diversity and and unity. So I never thought that our music would simply be like a, a statement at all. And I, and I never thought that in the beginning too, but it came up, you know, 20 years ago when we started, you know, collaborating with uh, mariachi musicians from, you know, Tucson. It's right. like, Oh, well, this is just, isn't this what you just naturally do as a, as a musician? You know, I'm just following the footsteps of, uh, of right. others bringing these together, whether it be in Congo square or, or Abbey road, you know, like people just, that's what you do. You sure. know, I mean, we're all, we're all fans of music. So, um, but I, I did think about that in, I did think about some of the themes that were going on in regards to some of these monumental events that, that occurred throughout 2020, you know, the death of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, um, losing, um, uh, uh, gosh, I'm forgetting his name now. Uh, John, give me help. Uh, what's his last name? I can't remember. The senator who, or the, sorry, the John Lewis. Sorry. Yeah. I knew it was John. <laughs> Got so many Johns in my life. It's incredible. Yeah. John Lewis, you know, thinking about him and, and Ruth Bader Ginsburg, you know, the loss of, of her seat and, and her influence. And, you know, we're constantly, you know, having to deal with change and life and death is, it's fragile, yeah. you know, so uh, I think that all that stuff definitely influenced me, and and especially thinking about a wintertime album, which, in a way, is a season where you go inward. So I thought that, uh, you know, it's easy for me to go there and to kind of go dark. You know, I'm here, I'm sitting at the piano, and I'll, I'll often just play just kind of sort of like atmospheric, melancholic music, and then my kids will come up and say, hey, Dad, I love your piano playing but it's a bit too sad or it's can you change it a little bit <laughs> it's just me practicing in slow motion so uh you know my wife and my kids reminded me like hey it doesn't have to be dark <laughs> <laughs> Down at the tap room Drinking mezcal and teasing her eyes You sang me a song sweet as a monsoon Blowing in from the First Christmas uh, project I'm aware of from Calexico was 2012 in Green Grows the Holly on the uh, Christmas Rules album. Is that the first oh, yeah. Christmas thing you did? Uh, we did something back in 2000. I oh. wrote a song called Gift Exchange, but yeah, it's it's all you know, just it's all kind of there. I did a, a song for XFM in the UK wrote a song and the label said, just do another one of those or just do a record, just of that kind of stuff, you know, singer songwriter thinking about the holidays. It doesn't have to be, you know, doesn't have to have sleigh bells. Right. In fact, that was, nobody mentioned it. Um, I'm just making that up, but I think both Mr. Convertino and I were like, yeah, no sleigh bells. (laughs) 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 So tell me about uh, green grows the holly. Where did that come from? Sure. Yeah, well, it's just an old, I mean, it's an old early song, really. I mean, I, I've heard it on, um, when did I hear that song? I must have heard it on one of my mom's Christmas albums. 
um, yeah, I think she had an instrumental record called Christmas Tide, a New England Christmas. Mm-hmm. It might be on that. Um, there is a bunch of those kind of old English uh, holiday songs that I just love. I love sort of like the the connection to um, older times, but also just the melody. You know, there's a different there's a different kind of use of of minor modes and stuff, and I really love that. So um, I'm a sucker for the minor chords. In fact, uh, on Saturday, I'm going to be talking to somebody about just like that thread around the world of of minor music, whether it be you know the influence of gypsies or or just the or the influence or the confluence of different cultures. But you know, especially in New Orleans, uh, being a gateway to Cuba and Latin America and the Caribbean, there is that that element, that thread of the minor blues. Mm. So um, I, my ears perked up when I heard that song, Green Goes the Holly. And I love the words, too. Mm. Um, it's, it's a beautiful song. Green grows the holly And so does the ivy Through the winter winds blow Never so high Green grows the holly Gay are the flowers Hedgerows and the plow hands The days grow long Longer in the sun So soft fall the showers I was listening. I went back because I, I didn't know um, New England Christmas Tide until I until when I was preparing for this. I found found a place where you had mentioned it before, so I went yeah. and checked it out. And oh, cool! And one thing I was thinking about is that you know there's a whole body of Christmas music that is largely instrumental, largely acoustic. I mean, I think about the whole all about the John Fahey Christmas music and music. Nice that at some level just kind of fits easily into your life. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and I wonder if you thought about that at all. The, you know, that in some level, you know, at some level Christmas music kind of almost is ambient music. It really is. I mean, the best kind of, <laughs> let's, let's just put it this way. There's like, there is the celebratory, you know, um, uh, Phil Spector kind of wall of sound Christmas songs, which are fun. I mean, now there's just everything. I mean, all you got to do is just have, you know, say happy holidays and it's, it's a Christmas song. Right. But I, there is definitely that element of ambient and sort of meditative qualities to, to some of the holiday music that I really like. I appreciate. And having been brought up in the Catholic church and going to, you know, the mass with the organ and everything, um, joy to the world. I mean, it's, uh, it's a beautiful song. Um, and it's just great seeing other humans singing these words of peace and joy. I mean, it's, I get it. Um, and, and then also, you know, later on hearing like more acoustic songs. And, and so when my mom found this uh, album, um, it really, it really resonated with me. And I thought that we would just do a lot more instrumentals for a release. And we certainly could, but you know, I, I just felt like with the holidays, um, this was a great excuse for us just to kind of get together and see what we could do. And, uh, and we didn't really have any sort of template or format or any direction other than you do whatever you want. Cause even if you go in and make 10 songs and you don't like six of them, just put out four. So it's the kind of perfect uh, opportunity to really just create, get creative and see what you can do. Is that unusual to have that, you know, sort of to have to start a project with that little sort of nailed down up front? A little bit. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, it's sort of unusual. It reminded me of when we would work on some of our tour only albums. Like we would, you know, in the in the past it would be outtakes, right? And we would just put them on our, on a CD or, a, or cassette or vinyl that we would sell only to show at at shows um, to to the audience. And we just made a limited edition and it sold out. We were done. And so it's kind of similar in that way. And then later on, we would go in the studio purposely to make records just to sell to fans at shows. And that's a fun way to get behind a project. There's a lot less pressure involved. So you mentioned uh, New England Christmas Tide as music that your that your mom sort of had had and was a part of your Christmas growing up. What were other? Mm-hmm. What are your other sort of important Christmas memory Christmas music memories? Well, hearing uh, Julie Andrews sing and hearing her voice certainly, you know, was one of my mom's and still is one of my mom's favorites. And in fact, um, I, I just recently kind of thought, you know, wow, my mom's voice sort of has a little bit of that influence. She's got it. My mom is an incredible singer and piano player. And so really it just kind of tied it all together because I grew up listening to my mom sing and play piano. And that was the treat. You could, you could choose songs from the songbook. And certainly we had a whole bunch of children's songs, but also Christmas songs that we could all sing along. And that to me really is my strongest memory and my favorite of, of hearing Christmas music. And we did that every year. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so that was like, you know, when, you know, when we would do that, I just, yeah, that I, I miss it, especially now with COVID and everything and can't see family and I live far away. And so we can't do that anymore. Um, other Christmas albums more recently, um, we were on tour with Gabby Moreno, who is a superstar. And, uh, and if people don't know that yet, they will soon. I'm sure she's just incredible. And also a voice that is just is incredible. And so she gave me this record. She go, oh, here, you might, you might like this with your family. It's a Christmas record I did. And it's mind-blowing. It's called Posada. And it's um, mostly in Spanish, but there's also some English. And she does sort of like Latin songs, of which she has done the cover of Mi Borito Sabanero. And when I heard that, I got... I got chills and I thought if I ever do a Christmas record or a holiday record, I'm going to do that song. And so we did and we invited her, <laughs> we invited her to sing and she goes, that's great, but can you change the key? It's a little too low for me. Like, oh, sure. No, no problem. No problem there. Um, nothing like working backwards, but, uh, but she also does some like R and B and gospel um, treatments to the song. It's just, and she does, you know, some of the standards, right? And I thought, that's great. And she can do that. But for us, as Calexico, I thought, well, we will we'll do more of the contemporary standards, like Johnny Yoko's Happy Christmas, War is Over, which is just a great song. And I've been asked several times by some of the journalists in Europe, like, did you have any reservations about doing this song that's almost impossible to cover? I'm like, no, of course not. I just jump in. It's a great song. I mean, it's a song for everyone and it should be especially in this year of 2020 should be resung and redone as many times as possible get the message out there war is over and you know and my daughter asked me last night she goes um which war were they singing about i'm like that is a really good question you know on one hand genevieve they might have been singing about the vietnam war but i think that they're singing about that internal war that we all have within ourselves. And once we figure that out, then we can be a better, you know, brother and sister to all, to all humanity and all, all sentient beings on this planet. But I thought that is such a great question. And for sure, I, I've thought about that uh, before launching into covering the song, which I love so much. So this is Christmas. Have you done another year over and a new one just begun?
Phillips loaned two-thirds of his name to alternative rock band Grant Lee Buffalo, but he's been flying solo since 2000. This Christmas season, he's released a four-song EP, Yuletide, which pulled together some seasonal songs he's recorded over the last few years, including one that started on the television show The Gilmore Girls. The EP is sweet and intimate, and we had a good conversation on it, Christmas music, and his friendship with Amy Mann, who played a role in his holiday music story. This is Grant Lee Phillips on the 12 Songs of Christmas. When I, when I was preparing for this, that I went to see if Grant Lee Buffalo ever recorded any Christmas music, and I didn't find any. Did you? No. No, we never did. We never did. Um, although soon after... You know what? That's a that's a great question. I, I may have stumped myself. Uh, uh, there was a period, um, and I believe it's before I sort of went off on my own, before I went solo, uh, <laughs> where I got together with um, Bill Bonk who, and Phil Parlapiano, who were playing uh, with Grantley Buffalo on the road, and we recorded We Three Kings of Orientor together. Oh, okay. So that would sort of, that would almost, you know, apply as a, uh, you know, as a Grantly Buffalo Christmas track. But um, uh, it, it, it came out somewhere, I believe, on my own. Maybe I, I released it on my website at that time. It, it wasn't, it wasn't ever in wide release, though. It, it seemed like the kind of thing that at that time record labels were asking artists to do. Uh, sort of for Christmas season, you know, samplers and for promotional stuff. Were you never asked, or did you? Was it not something that interested you? <laughs> uh, I don't believe we were ever asked. Um, but you know, in that period, uh, the first album came out in like '93, right? We had a record out almost every year, so I think it just had more to do with that. You know, that we were in the midst of. Uh, promoting records and touring um, a lot, you know, so it just never really, um, it never seemed to slot in just well. Would you have done a Christmas song then if you were asked? I think I would have. Yeah. I, I, I have a feeling we would have. Um, which one? Mm. You know, uh, uh, the Pretender song, 2000 Miles, that would have been a good one for Brantley Buffalo to try. Oh, yeah. That would have been great. I, I could hear that. Anyhow. <laughs> well, I'm such a fan of Chrissy Hind, you know. Um, um, I understand that song was uh, a bit of a tribute, um, you know, a mournful tribute tribute to um, James Honeyman Scott. Right. Um, that's what I read somewhere, you know. Um, it's got kind of a wacky video as well. But yeah, that's a great song. Um, that that would have been up our alley, you know. I have some favorites. I mean, Christmas music was. I um, I have a feeling that uh, the shape of Christmas songs, the arrangements, the way that um, you know the major and minor chords work against one another in so many classic songs, that had a lot to do with with um, um, shaping my understanding of how a song works. Oh, really? You know, because we get introduced to Christmas songs well before we get introduced to our our favorite bands, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Explain. Tell me about a little bit more about that, because I think that's interesting. It, well, the, the song that I mentioned, We Three Kings, it's a very minor key kind of song, you know? Very exotic and ominous. And, um, you know, I was really attracted to that. Why does that work that way? Why does it sound that way? My mother had a chord organ and uh, a stack of Christmas books. Um, so you could, you could basically hit a button, you know, and play a D minor. And there was no greater feeling than hitting that D minor button. <laughs> the saddest key, right? Uh, uh, but I realized quite, you know, quite early on that, oh man, D minor makes me feel a certain way. 
And look at A minor. What happens when you play A minor than an F minor? So all of that, um, it stuck with me as I got into the guitar a few years later. I mean, I began playing guitar at age 13, but I had already absorbed a lot of uh, musical ideas through some of these Christmas songs, you know. Um, um, what's the other one? God rest you, uh, merry gentlemen. I mean, that's another one of the great sort of medieval sounding Christmas songs. <laughs> yeah. One of the things I've discovered as I've been working on this project has been how many people's musical, you know, how many musicians' musical futures at some level started when dealing with Christmas music. Um, I've talked to a few for whom they kind of realized they had their inner performer when it would be Christmas Eve and the family would be, you know, playing piano. Somebody in the family would be playing piano and the family would be singing. And right. somebody realized that if they stepped out and uh, showed what they had on a Christmas song, they could get an audience, they could get attention, they could get applause and realize there may be something right. in this. And but I hadn't had anybody tell me yet that listening to the songs kind of helped start them down their down their down their musical path as a uh, as a writer or right. as a creator. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, because uh, uh, you are uh, made aware of the whole concept of verse and chorus, and um, you're introduced to a. Uh, a level of songwriting that's quite sophisticated, you know. I mean, a lot of our our, our classic songs that we we still play today, we hear today, uh, were written in the '30s. You know, I mean, that's. I mean, some of them are, are a little younger or a little older, but um, you know, "White Christmas" songs like that, and those are fantastic songs with just exquisite arrangements. Um, what a great music, musical education! I, I do think back to a forty-five that I had. Uh, really treasured uh, vinyl 45, Louis Armstrong uh, playing When the Saints Go Marching In on one side and then reading The Night Before Christmas on the other side. Oh, wow. And I love that. Oh, oh I haven't heard that. I, gotta <laughs> I think it was on that. DECA. Came out about 1954. And, um, you know, I mean, I, kind of both things, you know. I mean, hearing him do a, a spoken word piece is great. Um and then just the, the you know the wild spirit of when the saints go marching in Louis Armstrong in the fifties. I mean, you just don't you don't hear stuff like that these days. That's so no. <laughs> adventurous and, and lively, you know. This is Louis Satchmo Armstrong talking to all the kids from all over the world at Christmas time. Twas the night before Christmas when all through the house. Not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. The children were nestled all snug in their beds while visions of... Elvis's um, Blue Christmas, I mean, that's a lot, that's a great one as well, you know? I think that's one of the great Elvis recordings, actually. Absolutely. That whole album, I mean, especially that side one, is. A, I often think Christmas music really is a singles medium, but there are a handful of sides or full albums that really are amazing. And side one of Elvis's Christmas album, yeah, I, I think is, is still just a kind of an awesome side of music, period. Yeah. Yeah, I can still remember it, uh, hearing it for the first time, you know, family gathering and um, aunt and uncle had that record and they were, they were kind of hipsters, <laughs> um, you know, and um, when would have, it would have been the sixties, I guess, um, whenever it was, you know, pretty new, I think. The first Christmas thing I've heard you on was you as the, as the narrator on Amy Mann's <laughs> version of your mean with Mr. Grinch. Yes. How did that come about? Oh, goodness. Um, well, I've known Amy for, for a long time. Um, I met her in the early to mid-90s, I guess, out in Los Angeles. And um, we sort of circulated in the same crowd, played the same little club a lot. And um, um, 
I think at that point in time we had done, um, I, I had opened for her a few times, you know, hung out and, um, actually uh, she has a record called bachelor number two, but I did some singing on, um, you know, so, um, Little by little, we got to know each other, and, and she asked me to do this this uh, this part of the Grinch. I don't think I did anything else on that record, but just that, yeah, that was great. I mean, I love that. I love that movie. That's you know, it's it's one of the best. And then we took it out on the road. She uh, she's done quite a few of those Christmas tours, you know, um, with with music, sort of a, a traveling road show, a mm-hmm. vaudeville show. Right. You know? All the windows were dark. No one knew he was there. All the who's were all dreaming, sweet dreams without care. You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. You really are a heel. You're as cuddly as a cactus. You're as charming as an eel, Mr. Grinch. You're a bad banana with a greasy black peel. Have you done Christmas shows? Um, I can't think of any particular uh, show other than Amy's. And it was great. It was like Christmas every night, you know. Now, I was Santa Claus at the mall in the 80s. (laughs) You got to tell me about that experience. (laughs) uh well um i was i think i was still in high school maybe just about out of high school and uh, i got that job you know for the holidays and it was great um i actually got my first um ticket uh coming home that night from the mall and um i had my nose all red you know and um the beard had also scratched my face a great deal i think they're, they're made of fiberglass but uh, <laughs> uh i just wanted to get home i was tired and i, I ran a red light and then <laughs> all right buddy what are you doing out here you know i'm, I'm just on i'm going home and i just came from my job what's your job i'm santa claus Okay, buddy. <laughs> You've been drinking. <laughs> Your nose is red. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that was that was quite an experience. Um, got the ticket, paid the ticket, um, you know, uh, but it was a lot of fun. I would see folks that I recognized and I would give them a shout out by name. And that's always really weird, you know, when you're um, I saw my science teacher. And um, I gave him a shout out. I was like, I hope you've been a good boy, Mr. Fishbine. And and he looked like he was about to just sort of fall over, you know, like, how does Santa know my name? I'm 36 years old. (laughs) Um, So it was a kick. (laughs) And I I have to say, I'm I'm kind of, it seems like that would be a gig that would, would either totally make your Christmas spirit or really challenge it. <laughs> right. Yeah, I guess that's true. It, for, I think for me, it really was, uh, you know, I don't know that I would do it again, uh, <laughs> uh, but I would do it again, you know, if, if the, if the uh, circumstances were just right, but maybe not at the mall. Um, yeah, those are long days. Um, and with the, you know, the virus going around. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> um, but it was an experience. I'm, I'm glad I did it. I don't, any regrets oh no i i think that is absolutely a resume <laughs> line there is not a question not that is that it sounds like as high octane as that sounds it's like yeah i think everybody wants everybody wants that at least for one day you want to know what it's like yeah. to be santa and to have to be the the me the, the 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 mall santa and having so many little kids come up just full of awe yes that's or, right or terror looking at you yeah, or terror yeah I, yeah i mean it's kind of an awesome sense of uh responsibility that all of these little children are going to come up to you and you're gonna you're gonna they're gonna tell you what they want you're gonna say yeah no problem <laughs> i'll sign off on that right here um <laughs> or you have to be diplomatic and go well it yeah for sure something like that in the toy realm yeah um <laughs> you know 2016 was uh winter glow right yeah, that's right. Uh, you know, well, to, to tell you the truth, Winter Glow 
was uh, written and recorded back a bit earlier. It came out, I want to say, maybe 2010, something like that. Ah. Um, as kind of a one-off, you know. I, I recorded it somewhat late in the year and it wound up on a compilation. And uh, so it's, you know, but it's a song that uh, my, my, my dad suggested that I write a Christmas song or a holiday song, you know, um, something that would have that, you know, that chance to come around every year. And um, it was such a good call, you know, and I think of him every time I, every time I hear it and play it because it was, it was his prompting really, you know, um, so yeah, that's that's where it came from, um, and then I, I think it was released uh, in various ways. The ironic thing was when Gilmore Girls, a show that I had um, some involvement in, I, I played the uh, the town troubadour on the Gilmore Girls, and um, they decided to do something called a year in the life, which was basically a reunion show, but it would be divided into the different seasons. And it just, just turned out that they put me into the season of winter and they said, do you have any songs about winter? And I said, well, as a matter of fact, I do have a song that, uh, you know, has just barely sort of been heard, you know. Um, it pokes its head up every December a little bit, but it's called Winter Glow and uh, maybe this would be right. And it just, it was just a hand in glove kind of situation. Very serendipitous. Um, so Winter Glow, I played that in the uh, in that episode, uh, um, along with a uh, Valley Winter song, um, the uh, the song by Fountains of Wayne, as well. Um, that was a late breaking one when I got out there to to LA. Can you play this song too? And and that's a beautiful song. Foster Wells tells the story of how her grandmother, singer Peggy Lee, told her at a young age that one day she was going to have to take care of her business for her. Even though Wells wasn't always sure it was going to happen, it did. She remains the president of Peggy Lee Associates and continues the work of not only licensing Lee's material and trying to keep her present in the culture in 2020 when she would have been 100, she also continues to go through Lee's archives and find gems photos and tapes from Lee's long history in show business. We had a really good talk about Lee, who dealt with many of the challenges that women have always faced. And she was the rare singer of her era, male or female, who was also a songwriter. This, then, is Holly Foster Wells on Peggy Lee on 12 Songs. So first off, Holly, that we should probably start off by by establishing your place in this story here. So I know you are the granddaughter of Peggy Lee, and what else do we need to know? Well, I think for this podcast, that's the main thing you need to know. (laughs) (laughs) The granddaughter of Peggy Lee, and that I'm the president of Peggy Lee Associates. So I'm running her estate and managing her catalog. Okay. Yeah, that's something that she told me I was going to do when I was uh, six years old, that I was going to be running her music catalog one day when she was gone. And here I am. How long have you been doing it? Well, I have been doing it 
it's been, oh my goodness, about 19 years now. I can't believe that. Oh, wow. Yes. Yeah. She, I worked for her when I was growing up and went on the road with her all over the place and spent every Christmas vacation with her spring break. And uh, when I wasn't in school and then eventually I got to the point where I was a teenager and I said, I don't want to, I don't want to do this anymore. I just want to be your granddaughter. And she said, okay, she was mad at me uh, (laughs) for like a month. And then she said, that's fine. I understand that, but I just need to know you're going to do this when I'm gone because this music is going to outlive me and I need to know you're going to take care of it. And I said, you have my word. And here I am. Cool. Roughly speaking, how old were you when she passed? Well, she passed away in 2002. So that wasn't that uh, long ago in the scheme of things. I was in my 30s. Okay. So, yeah. So I knew her my entire life. She was like my second mother, really. I had like two mothers. My mom was her only daughter. Right. Tell me then, tell me about Christmas with Peggy Lee. Well... Christmas was her absolute favorite time of year. Uh Uh-oh. You see that that is a problem. Let me turn that off. Okay. Sorry for that noise. No worries. Um, Okay. Well, Christmas was her absolute favorite time of year. She loved having parties and entertaining. And so her Christmas planning started months in advance of guest lists and gift lists and what she was going to have catered. And she had a this beautiful butler's pantry filled with crystal and china and silver and she would bring it all out at holiday time but the best thing about her christmas parties of course was the music um she would invite people like jack jones and tony bennett and Cary grant and other you know very exciting interesting people and musicians to her parties so after everybody had had some drinks and had some food we would always end up around the piano and she would sing and they would sing and people would play. And it was just magical, honestly. Before we started uh, talking, before we started recording, you started to talk about recordings of, of some of the Christmas parties. Is that right? Yes. I don't know if it's specific Christmas parties, but my grandmother had in her living room, a reel to reel machine and she had her own microphone. She had a pretty, you know, high-tech sound system for the time. And she would record these parties. And I just came across one um, not too long ago with Cy Coleman at the piano and my grandmother singing. There have been other ones I've heard with Martha Ray. And oh, it's just, it's like being a fly on the wall in the 1950s at a drunken cocktail party. <laughs> I, would, I would imagine there are sections that are easier and more fun to listen to than others. Yes, it's true. Yes. I think because my grandmother had a pretty sad childhood, a difficult childhood, that parties, home, friends, family, and especially Christmas, because that's the time when we all come together the most, it seems. um, It just was the time that made her happiest. So she loved, she had Christmas trees in every room of her house. She would put these big balloons on flocked Christmas trees instead of using ornaments. And and it kind of looked like a carnival at Christmas ah, time. Ah, ah, oh, that's great. <laughs> Sleigh bells ring. Are you listening? In the lane, snow is glistening. A beautiful sight. We're happy tonight. Walking in a winter wonderland Gone away is the bluebird Here to stay is a new bird He's singing a song as we go along Walking in a winter wonderland In the meadow we can build a snowman Would you have been the only kid at these parties? Well, no, because I had my two brothers at these parties and then often you we would see the kids of other musicians so actually um my grandmother's pianist lou levy one of her many pianists that she worked with over the years his kids josh and david were often there with me and i i remember one time being there with um tony bennett's daughter antonia 
I was at one of the parties and they, it was just a lot of kids of musicians. So it was really, it was fun. And we, we kids would go play outside or go run around, but um, we would also, when the music started, you just couldn't help but just want to be in that room. Right. So one of the things I thought was interesting is, I, you know, I realized it's not as well known how much songwriting uh, that Peggy Lee did. Right. Did she write any of the uh, any of the Christmas music that she said she performed? Absolutely. So her album Christmas Carousel, which is like the soundtrack to my Christmases since the day I was born, uh, but also the soundtrack to a lot of people's Christmases. Thank goodness it was a beautiful iconic album that she did in 1960 and she wrote the track the title song christmas carousel and she wrote the tree and don't forget to feed the reindeer and the christmas list and um i think also the christmas riddle uh so several of the songs on that album she wrote with some of them on her own and some with collaborators so one of the things I thought was interesting is, on one hand, it would seem like sort of aesthetically she could easily gravitate towards sort of more mature songs, a song like The Christmas Waltz, uh, which right. she did a beautiful version of. But the songs that you mentioned, if memory serves, are, you know, they're songs that kind of go straight to kids first or, you know, or the kid in people first going to Don't Feed the Reindeer or The Tree. And in fact, The Tree even has kid voices on it. Right. Do you have thoughts about where that comes from or why why it would have been that way? Well, I think she was childlike. She had a childlike quality. Um, like I talked about her youth. And so I think for her, Christmas was centered around kids. And so, and that album, Christmas Carousel, definitely, I mean, it has a children's choir backing her on several of those tracks, um, like uh, Santa Claus is Coming to Town, you can hear the little kids in the background, and it's, um, in fact, I've met some of the kids that were in that choir who are all adults now, and they talk about that experience um, of singing on that album with her, but it's, that is interesting that there's the kid songs, and then there's also the deep feeling songs, the melancholy songs, and then there's like the sexy, sassy Christmas songs too. <laughs> I, I've heard a lot of people say like, you know, Peggy Lee's never, you know, she makes Christmas sound sultry. Right, And it's, yeah. there's a little combo on there, you know, of different styles. Much as I know Andy Williams is known for Happy Holidays, her version of Happy Holidays is the one I turn to. Oh, well, that makes me very happy. I cannot tell you, that song, when I hear it, I feel happy because I can actually, I can hear her smile on her face. I can tell her voice very well, and I've been in enough recording sessions with her to know almost how her face looks. And during that song, she's smiling the whole time. Happy holiday. And in fact, we just did a, Universal Music just did a fantastic animated video that came out yesterday to Happy Holiday. You'll have to watch it. Um, it's on Facebook. Um, it's a Facebook exclusive right now, but it will be on YouTube in um, a couple weeks. But that song is just, when I hear it too, when I'm you know in the shopping mall or at Starbucks, and I'll just hear that, it's uh, pretty fantastic is that her most successful sort of sales and airplay wise uh, her most successful christmas song 
Well, I'd say Happy Holiday and also Winter Wonderland is another one that, uh, have you heard that version, her version of Winter Wonderland? Yeah. Yeah, that's a, another big one that uh, at Christmas time. And I also want to mention a song that she wrote uh, for Lady and the Tramp, which is called, a Christmas song called Peace on Earth, Silent Night. It's it's like, it meshes her record or her version of Silent Night with Peace on Earth, which she wrote with Sonny Burke for Lady and the Tramp. And that is another, um, you know, really successful Christmas song. Oh, it's just beautiful. Happy holiday. Happy holiday. While the merry bells keep ringing, may your every wish come true. Happy holiday. Happy holiday. May the calendar keep bringing happy holidays to you. Thanks to Joey, Grant, and Holly for the time and the talk. If you haven't done so, I hope you'll check out some back episodes. This season, I've talked to John Resnick of the Goo Goo Dolls, Alan and Mimi from Low, Stephen Drozd from Flaming Lips, and writer-podcaster Chris Melanfi to talk about how legacy acts many of which are long dead, now compete with pop stars on Billboard's charts during Christmas time. In this year and previous seasons, I've chewed on Christmas favorites by The Carpenters, The Band, Outkast, Dolly Parton, Beatles Christmas Messages to Fans, and interviewed Robert Earl Keane, Chris Butler of The Waitresses, Trans-Siberian Orchestra, Isaac Hansen of Hansen, Eddie Angels from Los Straitjackets, and discussed a Charlie Brown Christmas with The Ornaments, Nashville Touring and discussed a Charlie Brown Christmas with the Ornaments, Nashville touring musicians who play the album nightly during the holiday season. Not sure how that's working out for them this year. If you have been listening, thank you. And please leave a review or subscribe to 12 Songs wherever you get your podcasts. That helps others find us. I think this has been a really interesting season, and I'd love for more people to hear these conversations. Finally, thanks to AF The Naysayer for the theme music, and thanks to you for listening. We'll finish with one more from Peggy Lee. This is The Christmas Spell. Talk to you next week. When you walk down the street And a stranger you meet Smiles a how do you do Christmas bell